It's the award-winning Beer Vana Show, Portland's second best podcast. <laughs> podcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. Hello, everybody. I'm Patrick Emerson. I'm a professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going so fast, I'm slurring my words. Uh, Jeff, you are the author of several books, including the Beer Bible. True. True that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. On who you are. Well, yeah. <laughs> on your identity. Yes. Uh, hey, Patrick. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm still basking in the glow of being voted second best podcast in Portland. So. Uh, I know it. I may take that award winning out in future ones. But yeah, I, I think we, I have, think we have to have a little, yeah, you know. I think we've, um, we've worn it out already <laughs> the second time we've mentioned it. But gotta i mean you have you, we have to self-promote a little bit it's pretty sweet what is so astonishing is that anyone actually knows about our podcast at all i it like was, i like to believe i do this completely anonymously and nobody ever listens and i'm always shocked when someone says oh your podcast it's almost true that no one listens but not quite yeah so Apparently. thank you loyal listeners indeed all six of you <laughs> three of you who voted in the poll that's great put us right over the top of the other sex podcasts we beat so uh, it's been hot. Yeah, here. it has been hot. I and you you like summer though. You're a summer. You're you you're a fan of summer. Uh, I do like summer. I like my summers to be seventy six degrees, zero humidity, not so many bugs. You know, Portland kind of. You like your nineteen eighties. Nineteen eighties. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm not a. I don't deal well with the heat. I'm I'm of English blood, and my mother is visiting from London, which is. For a while, it was hotter than here, so she had no leg to stand on, nor to complain. But she was melting in the heat, and I was not far behind. Yeah. So you know what you do? You drink a good hot cup of tea. Uh, yeah, you can do that. Uh, you find an air-conditioned that's, room. That's what you do. You get your stiff upper lip, have a hot cup of tea. I guess a gin and tonic would do well, too. Yeah. Uh, but it was so hot that we had a plan to go to the Oregon Brewers Festival, which... Finally resuscitated itself after two year absence. Indeed, due to COVID. Yeah, it was. I guess it's actually kind of. It's the. It's been the last one was twenty nineteen. This is twenty twenty two. But yeah, we missed two years. Yeah, skipped two years, so it's like almost four years since we've been to one. Yeah, uh, and all of us uh, Fay Portlanders bailed out. Yeah, it was brutal. It was. It was not only a hot snap, but it was a hot snap. And this is the thing that I think really gets me, where the evening temperatures weren't that yeah. low. And yeah. so it, and nothing was cooling down. Yeah. And so I knew if we went out there into the, you know, the, the beautiful NATO Parkway uh, area, the Waterfront Park, Waterfront Park Bridge yeah. off NATO Parkway, uh, it was going to, we were going to get there at noon. It was already going to be 85 degrees. And I just, uh, I can't drink beer. Yeah. Our strategy way. in the past has been to get there nice and early, right when it opens, when the when the crowds are light, the temperature is cooler. And, uh, but yeah, there was no, and this is that. This is this year was a, a fest for the youngsters. It really was the young, <laughs> robust people who can drink six percent alcohol and six uh, percent uh, alcohol beer and and uh, stay awake. That's Indeed. not me. <laughs> and, and based on what I saw on social media, the, the crowds were big. So good. I, I I'm I'm super happy for them. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also happy that we chose. We we um, we decamped. We as a group, we ended up at the Loyal Legion. Indeed. Which was a great idea. As per your suggestion, it was uh, your idea. So it you, was my you, idea. You which is why it's great. All my ideas are great. <laughs> well, You're just now discovering this. Uh, it was. It's big and it's well air conditioned, and they have a great tap list of lots and lots of wonderful Oregon beers. 
Although... Uh, and we, only Oregon beers, which is a cool thing. And they're, only Oregon beers, yeah, yeah. they're really focused on that. So if you come to Portland and you, you don't want to just go to endless breweries, you want to survey course, Loyal Legion's a good place. Yeah, because the, the, the suggestion was, well, we could just, we could just uh, march around to different, a bunch of different brew pubs. And I understood the idea for variety. But the marching around in the 100 degree heat seemed like a less good idea. So yeah. I was like, what if we could go to one place and just get a whole bunch of different beers from different breweries? If you're visiting Portland because you're interested in beer, that's not a bad place to just camp to camp for a while. Uh, and you can sample all kinds of Oregon beers. We had some great ones. Two of the ones we were really excited about were both uh, had both just blown, so that was too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. And hot tip, pro tip, Portland tip. Loyal Legion also has one of the best selections of uh, fresh hot beers in the fall, so that's another good place to go to. Yeah, we did that last fall. Yeah, that was a good that was a good call. That was your call back then, and that's how I knew about Loyal Legion. Exactly, Loyal Legion of Loggers and Lumbermen. Yes, named after some old guild yeah. or union or something. Fantastic, very Portland place. Yeah, uh, recommended highly. Great air conditioning. <laughs> Great air conditioning. <laughs> when it's hot, go there, and it's a big place, and there's uh, lots of room for big parties too. So. And it got really busy. Oh, we, we talked about this, and I wanted to mention it on the pod, which is we've been saying for a long time that it seems slow. People are slow to be getting back into places. That restaurants still aren't full. It's not hard to jump into a place and get a table and things. I think it's finally changing. I think $6 beers and $10 burgers means... And $9, you... and $9 gourmet corn dogs. Well, that, that was your one specialty luxury item. Yeah, but but yeah. I do, th- I, yeah, I think crowds are starting to come back. I, I don't know. I hope so. I think maybe it was just because it was... Uh, cheaper place there. Yeah, it filled up by it was Friday. No, it was a Thursday. It was a Thursday, and by five o'clock it was full. Was so, and it's a big place. All right. Well, uh, that was fun. Uh, I'm glad the OBF went off well, um, and I thought our little counter programming OBF was pretty fun too. So it was. It was awesome. All right. So uh, today uh, we have um, a chatty topic. When Stone Brewing launched in the mid-90s, its aggro, you're not worthy vibe (laughs) captured the counterculture zeitgeist of craft brewing. It was able to build a brand on the rising popularity of IPAs, one that took it to Virginia and ultimately Berlin. Yet all that reversed itself in recent years, and Stone found itself flailing in a new world that didn't admire aggro anymore. It got us thinking about how breweries go through familiar life cycle, one that would make a worthy topic. Ooh, like that. Very nice. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't usually do the puns, but a uh, little wordplay, you know. Yeah, we've talked about this uh, uh, in passing in the, in the past, so we're going to do a whole podcast on this. It's kind of a beeronomics sort of It's it, it is very beeronomics, and uh, I, I credit you years ago, Years and years ago, you said that you felt like breweries bore a close resemblance to restaurants uh, and at a time when that did not seem evident to me. Craft breweries, yeah. Craft breweries, that's right. And I kept it in my mind because I, I thought, oh, that's really curious. I don't see any evidence of that. Patrick's probably wrong, as he usually is. But I'll, I'll lodge it in my brain and we'll see. And in fact, I think you were exactly and right. And once again, discovering <laughs> that... All my ideas are correct, and all my instincts are right. Yeah, so I think all of that will play into our our topic today. All right, cool. Well, we'll get into that soon, but first, let's talk about the news.
As you may have heard on the news, and also we mentioned this briefly in our last podcast, the Pacific Northwest went through uh, another heat dome this year, uh, not as hot as last year's, but twice as long. And this may become a feature of the region, which has, uh, which will have profound effects. So I got to put my glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> I like that pause. Pause for the, gla- the reading glasses. <laughs> which will have profound effects on the hop harvest. Barth Haas uh, recently released their annual report, and they note that this is unique to the United States. Europe got hit with an even bigger heat wave this year, uh, which you also mentioned your poor mom surviving through. Uh, Hollertau, the region in Bavaria where they grow the most hops, which got hit by late hailstorms this year, may be the worst off. That's a very important region producing the same amount of hops each year as Washington State. So a tremendous amount of it's like Yakima and Holler Tower, the big, the big dog. Yeah, and I can confirm, as I talked about in the last podcast, uh, we have good friends from uh, Bavaria who have been complaining about the heat and the dry. Yeah. Uh, and so it sounds really bad. Yeah, and, and I think the one thing we didn't talk about, which is, is notable, is the hop varieties that are uh, uh, endemic to the, these regions. Mm-hmm are not used to the kind of heat that we get in the Pacific Northwest. Those kind of hops don't grow so well here because it's so hot. Uh, so, you know, your little delicate Hollertau hop, right. um, the Mittelfruh, uh, may not may not be so easy to grow in the future. And, and they've, you know, the industry there, the hop industry, has been working on drought-resistant hops and other kind of hops. So that could really change the way beer tastes. Global warming, man. Yeah, it's a, it's a real deal. Yeah, it's crazy how how dramatic and quickly it's happening. Uh, it's scary. It is. Yeah. Not cool. All right. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> all right. So if a brewery makes two identical beers and one is 5% ABV while the other is 4.9% ABV, which one sells better? This fascinating tidbit came via a fascinating Twitter thread recently. Uh, two fascinating in one sentence. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, was, I was rushing to get this one done today. This uh, <laughs> interesting tidbit came from a fascinating Twitter thread recently. Get out your thesaurus, man. I'm sorry, I'm Re- sorry. Revolution Brewing's... Poor writing. Doug uh, Vioki? Veliki? Veliki suggested the higher Veliki? of the two would sell better. Austin Beer Works's Michael Graham immediately checked Texas sales and Doug was right. By a long shot, the higher ABV beer at each, at each, at each, at each interval, 4%, 5%, 6%, 7%, and 8%, all sold far better than the beer just slightly weaker. Who said Twitter was useless? Exactly. Look hey, at man. Twitter coming to the, the giving us like solid news. You shouldn't here. put this on the podcast. I should write this up and make it my next paper, man. Absolutely. Dang. It's it's it, it's really fascinating. Uh, uh, Michael put out a, a a graph, which I think you saw, and the difference was you know four or five times for the sales were four or five times for the the 5% versus the 4.9 and so wow on. i didn't actually see it but that's fascinating yeah i'm going to i'm going to get into this this would be awesome so i think that this is just another example of you know the whole pricing in nines thing why do you see yes. prices that are 499 599 cuz you mentioned this and and you said people are crazy but it's exactly the same thing which is people use heuristics and they focus on the first digit and so if it's 499 or $5 uh, if we think, if we stop and think, we say, oh, that's only a penny difference. It's basically the same price. But no, our shortcuts, our mental shortcuts are such that you glance at it and you're like, oh, 499 okay, that's roughly $4. <laughs> Even though we know deep down it's not. And so I think that's the same thing going on here, which is people tend to just focus on, if I see a 4.9 and a 5, 
I tend to overemphasize the first digit. So 5% seems like a much better deal if I'm shopping for alcohol or bang for my buck, as it were. I guess it's right. I will say that I also sent this out to my, my gaming group uh, via text as this was all happening. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's get their analysis. Well, it's a, it, they, 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 I, I, I posed it as a question and I said, uh, which one sells the most? And I have two friends uh, in that group who really like stronger beers. And they immediately kind of dictated the tenor of the argument, and everybody finally agreed that, yep, oh, the the, the five will sell way better than the four point nine. Yeah, this, like, is, this is true. You and I don't shop for alcohol content. In fact, we tend to shop against alcohol content. Exactly. And my gaming group, you, <laughs> but we're not typical. <laughs> you you you, uh, you mock my gaming group, but they are they are standard Oregon beer drinkers. They are not. They none of them have ever been to beer Twitter. They have no idea yeah. about any of that. So they're not beer geeks. So they, I I really. I rely heavily on them to like guide me through the the morass. They do not. None of them have ever had a smoothie sour. They don't know what a smoothie sour <laughs> is. If I said the word smoothie sour, they would shoot me a dirty look. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I think that that just shows you, especially down in Texas, perhaps people are really shopping for for alcohol content. They're they're buying beer right. because it tastes good, but also because it's got alcohol. It's a it's it's a single data point uh, from one state, so you know, kind of. No, but I bet I, there, but I doubt that it's unique in any significant way. I do too. In this case. And I'm really glad that we had one data point of hard data because it was so exaggerated that I, I can't imagine. Um, I, I could imagine that the, the you know, the, the, uh, the disparity might differ depending on the state. But um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally convinced. But it's good. If you're, if you're trying to... By the way, this you, one... You should always add the caveats, right? Yeah. One, well, one uh, curious point. I don't think this is true, but um, I know in Europe they, they charge taxes by alcohol content. Mm-hmm. Are there differential taxes for alcohol content in Texas? No, because it, it worked. It, it, that was the cool thing that Michael included. It was uh, it was a graph that showed uh, 4, 9, and 5%, 5, 9, and 6%. And it's true that each one, uh, the, the amount... The amounts of beer sold were, were different depending on which interval it was, but the pattern was identical. Uh-huh. Uh, the nine, the nine was always vastly smaller than the the whole the whole digit. So whether it was eight percent, where you're talking about seven point nine versus eight, or yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't actually see the graph, so I'll have to go back and look. I I, I just noticed your tweet uh, before we recorded, so yeah, yeah, uh, it's like breaking news. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, if you're a brewery, take note. Don't. I mean, I would I I would immediately just Start to call them five percent. I, I yeah, you, you got to sell beer, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of that. It doesn't really prejudice because it's the same interval. Doesn't it necessarily prejudice the high versus low alcohol beers, but um, uh, uh, but yeah, it prejudices the three point nines and the four point nines. Right. Yeah. Those are those are not so good, but it means that you know maybe. He, People will relate to four and four point nine very closely, so you have some wiggle room there, right? So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, shall we turn to our main topic? Let's do it. All right. So our main topic is about the life cycle of breweries. Uh, I guess I'll start by introducing, uh, by way of introducing, and also as an excuse to open beer. Yeah. Is we've talked a lot about the sort of middle-aged or middle-sized breweries, breweries that become successful. So we've used the example of like Deschutes and um, maybe Elysian is another good one. Um, uh, what else? May, uh, uh, New Belgium, perhaps. 
I haven't checked the, the numbers, but breweries that have become popular, gotten quite large, uh, but then face significant headwinds right. and started to contract. So Deschutes is a good example in our state. Uh, one that seems to have bucked the trend uh, a little bit is Sierra Nevada. Except they did go through it. And that's, uh, I think it's significant. They, they, it was a tiny dip in 2017. I, I remember it distinctly because I was really anxious for Sierra Nevada. Yeah. That was when Ballast Point was kicking butt with their grapefruit beer. And all of a sudden, Sierra Nevada released a, to- a, a whole slate of fruit beers, fruit IPAs. Right. And it was like, it was such a bad look. It, and I was like, oh, Sierra, what are you doing? This is not Sierra beer. This is you chasing the market. Right. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, we can we can come back around uh, to Sierra's right. example, but it does give me an excuse to open a beer, which yeah. is their hazy little thing, which I think you'll be talking about as uh, the potential beer that rescued the uh, the brewery. So uh, yeah. why don't we uh, start from the start? And why don't you tell us your um, your theory of the life cycle of breweries? Yeah. So I, I want to emphasize that this is the life cycle life cycle of successful breweries. Mm-hmm. So if you start a little brewery uh and it kind of doesn't go anywhere and you're bad and you die while your life cycle was real short (laughs) (laughs) brutal and (laughs) brutal and short this doesn't necessarily apply to that but if you look at breweries that are successful they they seem to inevitably uh not stay at the same like level of consumer uh i like people consumers will relate to them differently yeah and this is what i came up with i am really curious you're you're an actual economist so you may have other ideas about this (laughs) card carrying economist yes you're a card carrying economist so uh the first these are the phases i have and we can we can go through some breweries and i can describe why i think this is Mm -hmm. why why this works because i had to had to do some uh uh you know mental imaging to, to see how all this works. So anyway, there's a honeymoon phase where everybody is treated like, ooh, a new brewery, cool, and nobody judges them too harshly. Right. And they everyone, give them, everyone give them a chance. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, then there's the next stage a brewery may or may not go through, but if the brewery goes through it, it's the next stage, which is the buzz phase. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you, you, you can think of, um, the breweries that do hazies right now are often go through a buzz phase, but, it, but this has been going on forever. I mean, yeah. uh, hair of the dog, which is a brewery I think we can talk about went through a massive buzz phase where they were the, you know, the coolest ever. Yep. Uh, it doesn't last very long typically. And yeah. then you can go into a longer phase call, uh, that I called established where you're just doing, you're doing good work. You're successful. Everybody admires you, mm-hmm. but this is, and I think this is the, the, the big question that I'm curious for you and listeners to reflect on. Then there's a, a stage that I call the awkward stage, mm. which is the one, the fruit stage for Sierra Nevada, the, the, uh, with, with the shoots, it was that, um, that parrot beer, uh, <laughs> which was a fine beer, but it was marketed so badly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the brewery has, is knocked off its long stride at this point and it, and it's scrambling and it's chasing the market and it does weird, awkward things. Yeah. The, the stage after that is is the really dangerous one. It's the what I call the death sale or revival. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then finally, and this was not in my the original thing that I wrote about, but I do think uh, if you look at European breweries, especially, but but maybe maybe there are even a few American breweries that are entering this. There's kind of a a, a legend status where you're such an established like fame, like Pilsner Urquell, Guinness, right? Mm-hmm. Like just absolute battleships of 
unchanging customer perception. Yeah, that's interesting. What what would you say? Uh, sorry to start at the end first, but just um, because this is new, the legend part. I think Sierra is getting close. Yeah, I was about to say. Other than Sierra, <laughs> yeah. are there any other legends? I would have said for a while. You know, I thought that glass was not clean, and I was correct. Yeah, there's a little speck of something on the top of your beer there, my friend. Yeah, that's all right. That was not produced, I can guarantee you, by Sierra Nevada. No, I liked it. Uh, 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 you, I was going to say years ago, but maybe even a decade or two ago, you might have said like an anchor was a right. Well, sort I think, of a legend beer. I think anchor is a. I think that's another good example. Yeah, they're they're. Uh, you know, and th- this can be a little a, a little bit of a golden handcuffs thing because it's really hard once you reach this august level uh, of perception. It's hard to ever move the needle too much in terms of excitement. So, it, yeah. It was so like, I kind of want to reverse engineer this suddenly because this is all of a sudden bringing up some ideas. Like, uh, if you think about the big legendary... And since, we, since, since you forced me to talk about it, uh, Sierra and we cracked this beer. We should at least say that I think Sierra, oh, about it. <laughs> Sierra found its groove when they released Hazy Little Thing. It's like this is a this is a you know they they're like okay everybody is making these hazies. We're not going to chase the market. We're going to stop. We're going to think about what a Sierra Nevada beer is. We're going to find our groove again. We're going to make a beer that everybody recognizes as a Sierra Nevada beer. And uh, you know it's when Sierra got its groove back. And, yeah, because and now it, they're just like steaming ahead. It has the hallmarks of hazies. But it's not just a, a, I don't know, like a typical hazy. It's kind of a Sierra Nevada hazy. So it's it's hazy, but not super hazy. It's yeah. it's it's fruity, but not like super sweety fruity overwhelmingly. Like, what do you say? Five on the hazometer? Six? Maybe a six. Yeah, Maybe six. A six on the hazometer. So it's not like a milkshake at no. all. No. Uh, but it has enough haze that people okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I take it as a hazy, and it gets that that citrus on the nose, but. It's dry. But it's quite a refined hazy. It's dry. It's a little bit bitter. It is. It's quaffable. It's very West. It's, it's yeah. like a classic West Coast hazy. It really is. A, it's, a, you know, a kind of a masterpiece of, of uh, um, craft brewing <laughs> in the sense that it's just, it's, it hits those hallmarks, but it's true to itself. And, uh, and I, it's, it's fantastic. And they're such a big brewery that they can bring it to market at a price point that's really competitive. And I bet that it has a really, really good uh, return customer, which is always the hard thing to do when you're releasing new beers and trying to get a flagship out there. But yeah. even I, when I see it on the shelf, I always stop and think, ooh, maybe I'll buy that. And that's really that's what, that's what you want the customer to do. You want the customer to pause and think, maybe I'm going to buy another hazy little thing. Yeah, I, for a while, was buying it all the time because I would look at all these other beers, which are also quite good, mm-hmm. but I could get a six-pack for a couple bucks cheaper. And this is a fantastic beer, and I'm like, well, and, I'll and do it, that. And it is, you know, in that that realm of it's not seven and a half percent. It is drier. It's a little bit bitter. So I can have a couple of these and really enjoy myself. Yeah, uh, and six point seven. Six point seven. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, uh, but I was going to go so back to my right. reverse engineer point. So the two, the true global brands end up sort of focusing on their identity, their their iconic beer. So. Obviously, Raquel is just a pilsner. They make a beer. Uh, Guinness makes many beers now, but still, people know Stout. And there are different versions of it, but essentially, Guinness Stout and Draft Stout is probably what they're really known for. Uh, I'm trying to think. 
Um, you know, the big American breweries basically pushed one beer for many, many years, and then they added a light beer and then a few other things. But so I'm wondering, uh, is that part of the legendary stage where you sort of retrench and focus on a s- small number of, of beers? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada still has Pale, which right. is one of the most iconic beers of all of American craft brewing, right? Totally. Uh, and now they've added Hazy, which is, um, you know, you can definitely see the, fam- the, the, the familial bloodlines to Pale. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they're not like, they do make lots of different beers, but still their identity is probably wrapped up in a few yeah, I, I hadn't thought of this, so now I'm just spitballing live on the on the internet. Um, I, I I feel like maybe you do have to have whether you whether you make a bunch of different beers, you do. It does seem like you're right. You need to have the iconic. You mentioned uh, Anchor. Well, it's Anchor Steam. You don't think exactly, about yeah. you don't think about Anchor Porter. No. Like they make it, and it's a fine beer. No. Actually, I really love that beer. <laughs> but when you think about Anchor, you think about Steam. In fact, people sometimes just call the brewery Anchor Steam. That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> if you're gonna basically last forever, it's probably because you've created some kind of identity iconic product right. that people will keep coming back to. And I do think it can change because Fuller's is a really good example of a brewery that uh, has a very stable line now, um, but but. Um, uh, London Pride and ESB are not actually that old. They used to be a porter brewery, you know, and right, things right. changed. And so they, right. as things changed, like, okay, we got to come up with some bitters. And they came up with these bitters, which are now, you know, 50 years old or something. But yeah. they're but they're not as old as the brewery. That's a good point. But they've yeah. become iconic. Um, and because they're, you walk into a Fuller's pub, you want your, your London Pride. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Urquell is one of their, it's a weird, sweet, generous, like, Basically, nobody makes one beer. Anymore. Right, that's <laughs> yeah. really weird. Yeah, no, I realized when I was saying that, I was like, okay, that's maybe not the best example, but I think the 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 golden goose for breweries is to um, have their identity uh, as a brewery and escape being tied to one beer. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's really possible. Like, is it possible for you to keep changing in ten years? You don't brew the same things you brewed ten years ago, and still maintain it i am wondering it doesn't seem like it's necessarily so i don't think it's smart that's just thinking about breweries in the long term if you i mean if you're building a brewery like you know you you had you made the argument that many breweries now have a business model that resembles a a restaurant Mm -hmm. and so if you're if you just want to get 20 years out of your brewery uh you know 10 to 20 years and then and then shut it up i think I think that's fine. If you want to go for the hundred-year brewery, I think you need to come up with an iconic product. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's useful to revisit the restaurant analogy because it's less that it's a business model and just that it's a cons- it's the it's the nature of the market, right? And mm-hmm. the consumers. So if there are always new flavors, new experiment, like oh, I don't want to push the analogy too far. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna talk about sort of like certain ethnic foods that become popular in a moment like when we were in grads we were at our undergrads you know ethiopian food was big in portland you could find two or three or four ethiopian restaurants and now they're kind of gone and you know thai food sort of never left but you know had its moment and now maybe is less so i, I uh yeah that's i think that and that's that when, when i thought of this whole thing it's it's partly because right now everybody thinks of breweries like other half and great notion as timeless 
uh, buzz breweries and just having been around long enough, you and I both know that that, that never lasts. They're, the Ethiopian restaurant, the Thai restaurant, lose, you know, fades from public interest and, you know, you're off to sushi. Or yeah, whatever. I guess there's an example. What I was saying is being known for the brewery rather than the beer. It's kind of like being known as a restaurant rather than the food you serve. So is there an example of a successful restaurant that's maintained its name but has changed its menu significantly over the years. Like, well, we used to be this farm-to-table, like, fresh, you know, and now we're an Italian restaurant, and then next year we'll be a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> I, I know I'm pushing the analogy way yeah. too far, but but it's kind of, right? Like, it's I don't, hard. I don't think so, right? It's hard, right? Like, if you're going to be a known as a restaurant, was... you're, yeah, you're known as the food. <laughs> yeah. right? You're known for your food, so you sort of have to be known for your beer, and it can't be this amorphous, well, they just brew good beer. Right. They brew a type of beer. right. Like, if I'm Great Notion, I brew these certain types of beers, and I can't imagine a Great Notion in 20 years being a Pilsner house, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. We, we're kind of, uh, I've kind of hijacked this whole conversation, so maybe we should go back and, and start. Although I think some of these phases are, um, are pretty self-explanatory. So when you first start a brewery, people are curious. They'll check you out if yeah. you're lucky, unless you're really out of the way. And this is kind of like a restaurant too, right? I do think, I, I think one thing that's interesting about this first phase, which is super intuitive and obvious and everybody gets it, is that uh, it was it was a lot easier to have a honeymoon phase when there were fewer breweries. Yeah. And now you have to really think about, like, how do I cut through? When I launch a new brewery, how do I get that honeymoon? Like, I gotta, you, you used to just get it automatically. Now you kind of have yeah. to have a little liftoff to even get to that stage. And I think that's a good point because nowadays, I think you could have done any, in 30 years ago, 20 years ago, let's say, because there was a whole weird thing that happened in the 90s. But <laughs> let's say in the early 2000s, you could call your brewery whatever you wanted. You could package, you know, you could have any kind of logo, any kind of idea. You could brew whatever beer you wanted, and you'd probably get noticed. Right. We have a brewery. Oh, my God. Oh, let's go check it out. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now I think you have to be much, much more deliberate about these things. Totally. Much more, uh, put much more thought and think about the evolution through these stages. Uh, through the honeymoon because that's your chance yeah the honeymoon phase is your chance to catch attention and so if you have a forgettable name if you have a logo that doesn't resonate if you drink just have a mishmash of beers if you decided to, to you didn't have enough money and, and your space isn't very interesting and you right. can't you can't really get people yeah. to come check it out it's yeah, yeah right. I think the honeymoon phase is your last, your first and last <laughs> right. phase. That's right. And that's changed a lot. I think that's yeah. a big difference between now and 20 years ago. Yeah, you, you could afford to stabilize yourself through the, you know, you get, yeah. you, if we can just get launched, then we'll get out this big revenue source because everybody would be excited to see our brewery. Yeah. Now it's, it's like, well, what if nobody comes? Yeah. So. And so now you maybe, if you get through that stage, you become a buzz brewery or a cool brewery. Mm-hmm. And this is also a double-edged sword, I think, because now in the age of social media, you can perhaps get that quickly. There's a lot more access to consumers' eyeballs, uh, but it also can fade. It can fade, and, and if you, you know, we, we haven't seen this so much in beer, and I keep waiting to see if it'll happen uh, with the this, this, this one business model that's very popular, uh, the hazy fruity, uh, smoothie sour, you know, the, the great notion business model. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in other in other realms and in other eras, we've seen fashion uh, change rapidly. And then if you are spe- associated with a specific time and place, mm-hmm. it's really, really hard to get 
to pop out of that if you're not seen as timeless. You yeah. know, it's like, ooh, I remember back in the aughts when we were doing that thing, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. my, our, our reference point is always super old. So I always think of leisure suits, which go all the way back to the seventies. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, which, really old. <laughs> which doesn't really you know pop out, but you know, in in the uh, in the nineties, which was our our salad days, like everybody had a, a goatee and wore. Uh, flannels and and those things are you know very much associated with that era uh and so just in fashion but in the in the 80s remember everything was uh uh sun-dried tomatoes were giant in the 80s yeah and, and now every time i see a sun-dried tomato i'm like what is this 1985 yeah What's no i know it's the same thing flavors go in and out yeah it's a good yeah. point so i was thinking about this in the following way that like uh, another version of the double-edged sword. So one thing you can do now to get noticed is to sort of ride the super popular thing, like maybe a, f- a smoothie sour. Mm-hmm. But uh, over time, lots of these beer styles come and go, and there's this sort of core that seems to be stable. Right. And so I think you're at your peril saying, I'm going to do something different. It gets you noticed. It might get you buzz, but it might not be a lasting strategy because in 10 years... Probably nobody's going to be drinking smoothie sours, right? And we have seen this even in beer. So uh, our our lovely friends at the Commons uh, yeah. staked everything on saison, and yeah. that turns out not which to have been a winning think, horse. Yeah, which you would think might be one of those like classic stable beers, but in the United States, at least, and even globally, I mean, Belgian beers are having a, a little bit of a struggle now. They right? so, are, and yeah. a classic example of this uh, is, which I don't have on our list of case studies, but Omegang. Yeah. yeah. So. Brewery that uh, does Belgian styles, and they went through this awkward phase, and they are now. Oh man, they're such an. I, I get their. They for some reason they they're mailing me their beer. I mean, I I'm glad they are. It's just it's it's always slightly weird who sends me their beer. But right. Omegang sends me their beer, and right now they have an OMG line, which is their hazies and their uh. their sour. They're like they're like buzz beers. Yeah. And it's it's so much like dad trying to use the lingo of a fourteen year old. It's just, everything about it is like, oh, guys, this yeah. is really not working. I know. I, I I feel for every brewery, every brewer, every business owner out there. So don't. I mean, I know that it's easy for me to talk about this stuff, but it's so hard because. Uh, and we had this discussion. You can go back to podcast fifty-two or whatever it was when we went to Deschutes and talked to Gary Fish. Yeah, and he was exactly in this position. Look, we became a brewer. We got known for these certain beers, but they're not what people are drinking right now. We're not what porter. they want. Yeah, we have a porter, <laughs> and we have at the time a pale, a great pale. But people are drinking IPAs and hazies and Belgian beers, and at that time, right. And it's so. What do you do? You know. Yep. We got it. We have to sell beer. Like yeah. that's, you know, we got this big brewery, but uh, it then you get into this trap where, and I think we've already, <laughs> we've already gotten to the awkward stage, right? right. You right, get into right. this trap where you're trying to chase the market and say, oh, I can make those beers. And it's true. You can, you probably do it better than a lot of these guys, but that's not what you're known for. And now it just looks weird. Right. It's like, um. You, you I don't to, know, the Rolling Stones getting into disco or something. Or, <laughs> yeah, very well done. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, Although it's also a 70s reference, but... Uh, yeah, I know. I was wearing their leisure suits. <laughs> okay, so it's Rolling Stones getting into rap. or Right. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that would be so bad. That's yeah, exactly so it's right. like, oh, everyone, no one's listening to rock and roll anymore. They're listening to rap and R&B. Let's, we could do that. Right. Like, ew, we know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wouldn't work. Uh... Yeah, so, um, but it but it's interesting because if I'm a new brewer 
and I'm going to be great notion. I'm going to be focusing on smoothie sours and big hazy beers and stuff. And, um, you know, are those going to be the beers that in 10 years people are still drinking? And, and can I make that pivot? Yeah. And so I, if you're really thinking long term, it's it's a tricky. It's true. And I, I think a brewery like Great Notion is probably slightly better positioned to pivot because they have a brand that's based on kind of like fun. And so they have all those you know, cartoon characters, mm-hmm. really strong artistic identity. And I think they can always, I think they can probably shift pretty well. Also, IPA is not a bad place to be. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't think IPA is like being in, uh, betting on Belgians in the mid nineties. Um, so, you know, there's other breweries that are like super focused on the most cutting edge kind of, um, brand, Types and I'm thinking and this is more the case in the East Coast. Uh, your other halves and your uh, tree houses. Mm-hmm. I know, I know what tree house they love to make loggers, but I just don't think people are drinking. Nobody goes to tree house for a lager, right? So I don't know. And they're really particular, kind of really particular types of IPAs. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, we had we we recently on a recent podcast had a a great notion, and it was just a solid. It was a hazy, but it, it was uh, I think it was Juice Junior, just a solid IPA. So yeah. not it it did not have that it did not look like a leisure suit. It didn't look like a throwback. You taste that, it's like, oh, totally modern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh by the way, just since we're drinking this, the hazel thing, I haven't had it in a while. It's a really good beer. Oh, I know. It's a really, really, really good beer. Yeah, it's it's actually one of my go tos. It's uh Yeah, it, well I've just gone away from IPAs in general lately because we've as I've said many times, I just higher alcohol beers I can't I can't take anybody that's put me to sleep. And so I've been drinking lots and lots and lots of lagers. I would love it if it were a half a percent lower, if it were 6.2, which is my sweet spot. It but, would. It would be. Yeah, that would be better. But uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal beer. I'm just remembering now. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's how good this beer was. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It's, it's, uh, I'm always a little bit surprised at how flavor forward it is given that it's uh yeah. it's, it's it's built on a chassis of drinkability yeah. but it's really it's quite flavor forward it's got a lot going on it it does but it's all in balance and mm-hmm. really nicely done and yeah all right uh so but i think i think the most interesting thing and when i tweeted out uh an article it, it was an article that i wrote about stone's collapse and then i just included this in there so it was kind of a mishmash in, yeah. in the way the blogs sometimes are um, but the thing that people most focused on was uh, breweries that were in the that that seemed to be in the in the establishment phase and not popping out and giving me examples of breweries that they thought had never gone through an awkward stage and kind of asking the question is it possible to never go through an awkward stage um, which I I think is an interesting question I, uh, you know we're uh, it's hard to go back to like. Let's look at uh, Rodenbach. Did they ever go through a, you know, an awkward stage? Hard to know. Um, those old breweries. So we're dealing with craft breweries, and the, the data set is only 40 years old. Yeah. Um, but uh, people brought up two breweries in particular that I thought are, are interesting. We can watch what's going on in there. Um, they kind of had different trajectories. One is Allagash, mm-hmm. and the other is uh, Russian River. Yeah. And they were both talking about how, you know, they're – haven't gone through an awkward phase. I, I do think people, when people brought up Russian River, they were still talking about it like it's in its buzz phase. 
And I do dispute that because there was a period of time when Russian River, uh, and they meant, I think they mentioned that because of Plighting the Younger, and they can still like totally uh, sell out Plighting the Younger. But there was a period of time when they're when they're wild beers, they're you know they're Asian beers like Beatification and all those beers uh-huh. were so popular, people were killing themselves to find those beers, and that's not the case anymore. And Plighting the Elder is an awesome beer that people love, but people are not killing themselves to find that beer anymore. They're very much a super solid brewery yeah. that, that sells the beer that they want to sell. Um, I know that there are people who like, they have a beer called Stevo that they did a collab with uh, uh, Firestone Walker. Uh-huh. And there are many people who think that that's their best beer. So there's, they're definitely in their super establishment phase. They are a rockin' brewery. They have not, they are nowhere near awkward yet, but I don't think they're a best brewery anymore. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that entirely. And I think that, uh, and probably they're a good example of managing the buzz. And yeah, I think so. It wasn't like a, a super. They were never a mammoth brewery, and you know, uh, with Pliny, they never played weird games with it, like some of the East Coast breweries. It's true, right? Like I, I didn't feel like you know they earned the buzz just because they were brewing good beer. Yeah, they they for Pliny the younger they 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 do do a limited release. They do it once a year. It's all draft. It's a big deal. It's just a special thing. It's yeah. fine. Many yeah. breweries over the course of history have all also done special things. And in, sure. in Dusseldorf, the Sticker beer is, you know, it's a it's a classic thing that it's a slightly stronger version of the alt beer, and it's released one day a year, right. and that's it. And you go and you have fun. And this has been going on for decades, yeah. so it's like it's not it's not unreasonable. Yeah, no, I'm talking about playing games. I meant like a beer that. Uh, a brewery that does a re- limited release like every three weeks and right. you know, it gets a line and make sure they try to, you know, s- basically sort of manipulate the buzz a little bit, right? Like trying yeah. to, to to keep themselves uh, in the, the zeitgeist that way. Uh, yeah, and then um, Allagash is interesting because it gets back to the point of, you know, they've definitely got an iconic beer. Mm-hmm. The one they sell probably, I don't know what their sales are, but it's not a typical one. It's Allagash White. It's got to be 80% of the It's got to be 80%. I mean, yeah. it's got to be. Like, <laughs> I was just in Maine, and yeah, Allagash White, everywhere. Like, and it's amazing. Like, yeah. you never would have expected that that would have been the big hit. And, and I, don't, I don't know where they are, but I imagine that there's some talk about, well, what if, all of a sudden if people stop drinking white? Right. What do we do? Like, do <laughs> we make a hazy IPA? I know. Uh, so um, we should talk about Fort George and drink this beer. Let's do. I, I poured too much. I'm going to go get a glass. You you can crack that. And I poured a lot too, but it's gone, baby. I, that's my whole beer, man. You did not pour your whole beer. Huh? That's true. I did not. Fort George glass. This is like a podcast verite, man. I know. You heard me walk into the we, kitchen. You walk into Jeff's kitchen and, <laughs> and he's back. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're exploding the fourth wall, man. That's true. Yeah. Which we do. That's kind of our shake. Okay. So... There are a lot of breweries that become established and, um, you know, so they get through the buzz phase, they become quite popular, they're able to expand, they become a, a decent size, uh, and now they're sort of known as a good brewery, making good beers, maybe they have a, uh, a number of um, well-known, iconic beers, and maybe the market moves away from those beers or whatever, but you get to this, as you said, awkward stage. Yeah. You know, I'm Deschutes Brewery. I've got this great porter. I've got this great pale. But people are all crazy about IPAs now, and they're crazy about hazies. What do I do? Right. Well, we have a, a, an example of what one brewery did right mm-hmm. in front of us. 
Yeah. Poor George. Uh, we were talking about going to Astoria last week. Um, this I'm Astoria. super excited because I had this one yet. I was excited too. I had it at the pub actually. Um, and they they were their flagship is called Vortex. Mm-hmm. It is an old school IPA. It's an old it, school. <laughs> it was founded. Uh, the brewery was founded I think in 2008. And this thing is like. It's really, it's a strong beer and it's super hoppy. It's dank. It's, it's just yeah. dank, dank, dank. It's, it is like Western than West Coast, man. This thing yeah. is, it's a, it'll, it's a, it's a nose punch. Um, and they, they kind of just were fading and it's a small brewery. So I think this, this the other thing I was thinking about with this whole thing is, does it actually apply to breweries of different size? And yeah. I, I think it does. Cause uh, at, you know, Fort George at this point is maybe a 20,000 barrel brewery or something like that. So it's slowly over the 14 years, it's been in business, slowly grown to be a, you know, a decent, a decent sized brewery, but not Sierra Nevada or anything like that. Well, one thing they did was they came up with this fantastic idea, three way IPA. Mm-hmm. And it kind of totally revitalized the brewery. It became a thing. It can became a thing. They just they 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 cleverly decided to do a, a collaboration once a year, released in the summer, with two of the the best well known breweries at the time, the making IPAs, mm-hmm. uh, and they <laughs> just they just became out of nowhere this like little sleepy brewery on the coast, which everybody kind of forgotten about, became the brewery had to go buy the beer. And this is kind of a, a little it's. You know, not like a super buzzy thing, but it's a thing. Like every year, the three ways out, and people talk about it. And I think it's a you get out. I don't. I would call it a super buzzy thing. I think it's a big deal. I, I I can't imagine anybody in Oregon doesn't who likes IPAs. Well, I just okay, yeah, that was probably a, a, a I misspoke. What I mean is like you don't have to line up and and go get right. your limited release. Like it's in stores. You it goes, find it. It's everywhere. Yes. I bought this um, at the grocery store. Yeah, and so, um, so they make a lot of it. <laughs> right. And they sell a lot of it. But yeah, it's a way to keep them in the conversation, and it's a way for them to keep introduce people expect a new beer coming out. And, and it's, they, a, it's a clever idea, although not unique. No, not unique, but I think they did they did decide to do it a slightly different way. They, they really do a, a, an honest-to-God collaboration with the breweries, so yeah. they, they, uh, they come up with beers that all three breweries really want to make. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, they trade on the hipness of the newest breweries that they're working with. Right. But I think the newest breweries also are really excited to do this beer, which now has this kind of massive stature. It's like, Ooh, yeah. we got picked for do three way. So this year it's, uh, Alvarado street and, uh, which is down in California somewhere. Okay. And, uh, Ravenna, which is in Seattle. Okay. Somewhere in Washington. I'm going to say Seattle. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. And then. The cool thing for me is I go to Astoria pretty often, and uh, for months, like literally six months before summer, they're doing beta tests. So you go there, and yeah. it's like, oh, here's three-way beta test 2.1. You're like, oh, all right, let's see what this tastes like. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So they Iterate, iterate, iterate. Until, yeah, that's what was impressive. We we talked to uh, Rubens Bruce a few years ago. Look for it on podcast number. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and they were... They 52. Had, yeah, they just Every, everyone was fifty-two. No, I think it was more like eighty something. But anyway, they colla- <laughs> they they were part of the three-way that year, and and uh, Rubens was impressed in how much it really was yeah. uh, collaborative and iterative. So they all talked about what they were interested in. They started working on recipes together. They did some test batches. They tested them out. They, Fort George would send the test batches to the breweries, and they could test and discuss and 
and tweak and stuff. And so, yeah. the, so that's key because generally three-way is excellent. Like, uh, it's pretty reliable. When it comes out, it's pretty reliable. It's going to be different. But yeah, that's the thing. It's really cool because everybody is always like, ooh, is this a good one? Like, a, is, this, is this one of the, the top years or just a good year? Yeah. Uh, and this year they actually randomly uh, did two beers. They did a West Coast and a New England style, which is something they've never done before. And we had the New England style. Yeah, I had had the West Coast before. That's why I was excited because I haven't had this one. So uh, let's take a moment and uh, talk about the beer. What do uh, you think? So I just had this uh, not long ago at the brewery. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the interesting thing about modern hops is they will evolve. Uh, and I'm sure that the stuff that I had at the brewery was fresher than right. what I have here. Yeah. Because the palate at the brewery was really, really melony. Yeah. Uh, it just was super melony. And it was okay. Uh, they did a test batch, a hazy test batch that was like 6.2%. Mm-hmm. One of the best beers I've had this year. And I actually even wrote about it on social media or something. This one is 7%, so it's not the same beer. But that version was very melony. This one is not melony. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this one better, actually. I, I thought I was thought I was gonna have to talk about ah, melon is interesting, but I don't love melon. Yeah. I catch I catch a little melon in it, yeah. but yeah, but it's, it's not prominent. It's a little bit danker. It's danker, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little sort of a, a danky hazy, but it's New Englandy in that it's a bit sweet and yeah, it's got a nice little bass note there. Boom! <laughs> I like that. It, the, the melon, you know, the melon, melon is a flavor that kind of just, it's, it's like a, it's like a wisp of smoke. It just disappears on you. And, you know, I can, I can understand how some people would like that. But for me, I, I like something a little sappier, a little danker or something. Yeah. So I actually, my props, this is, I, it's, this is a pretty, I'm liking it. Yeah. Let's see if I can find a date. Yeah. I like it a lot. Uh, okay, I want to I want to get through that because I want to talk about our case studies here. But <clears throat> so we've talked about the awkward phase. Awkward. It's a month old. Yeah. So Good. I would say <laughs> buyer per- purchasing note month old. That's the sweet spot, <laughs> or at least that's one sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> we can we what we can attest to is that month old tastes good. That's right. This was born on the fourth of July. Uh uh-huh. Wow. Good for you working on a holiday. <laughs> yeah, making the beer for the. For the masses. Uh, okay, so we talked about the awkward phase now. Uh, and then the death sale or revival phase seems to be the real key. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... It's it's how you can get out of that How do you deal phase. with the awkward phase? Yeah. We'll determine that next, <laughs> right. next phase. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe maybe the, the, the awkward phase is worse if you're a bigger brewery. Like, you can survive an awkward phase if you're a little brewery. Yeah. To dip in production. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's there's just not that many case cases. So I, I was thinking about Sierra did a great job, New Belgium did a great job. Their Voodoo Ranger thing really when 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 amber ales seemed like you know a millstone that was going to take the brewery down, they came up with a Voodoo Ranger. And, that and I never thought Voodoo Ranger was going to work, but I didn't either. It was like it seemed like a lunge after a trend. Yeah, uh, but. But it totally worked, and I think that I think the one of the messages. Uh, or one of the takeaways is that there's no magic bullet. Like lots yeah. of breweries try the same things. Some work right. and some it doesn't. That's right. And we can we can try to unpack it and say, well, hazy little thing really is kind of clearly a Sierra Nevada beer, but they're hitting like the right notes. But still, 
I mean, who knows why his little thing worked, but right. um, what what's the Deschutes one? Juicy, juicy, juicy didn't work as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Deschutes has really doubled down on their uh, fresh squeezed. Oh, line. that's it, fresh squeezed. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so, so fresh squeezed was their their last big hit, and then they were like, ugh. Maybe just many different many fresh different squeeze. versions of freshies. That's why I was. That was my yeah. little inside joke about the juicy juicy because it was like the son of fresh squeeze and fresh squeeze plus and, and hazy fre- squeeze. Hazy, yeah, hazy freshy squeeze. <laughs> so we we laugh. I mean, I totally empathize with the the uh, shoots and and yeah, I do too. And I wonder whether there's going to be a renaissance of their original beers like the pale and the they have an amazing bitter that kind of disappeared but you can get it in the pub sometimes and the porter's great and bachelor bachelor bitter thank you yeah 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 i mean i think nobody is more heartsick about uh deschutes's malaise than the people of oregon who have always admired it and yeah. it's still a go-to uh for us uh in portland the portland pub is still one of the most yeah, the, the the places i want to go most often and they always i mean that's the thing they are it it actually is a really good case study because um, it's not like they don't produce good beer. They produce a tremendous amount of good beer. When I go into that brewery, uh, you know, they'll have, oh, well, they have a uh, an Ufleku style uh, Czech dark lager. And, oh, they have a, an old school Vienna lager. And they, they do, they're, right. they're just doing all these really interesting beers that are really, they're tremendously good beers. But that's not what, you know, this is a, a large brewery that needs to sell a bunch of beer in Iowa. And, right. you know, they're... Yeah. <laughs> My uh, favorite is, hey, we put Bachelor Bitter on, on cask. Yes. Like, oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. So thank you. That is not going to... That is yeah. not, That is not a future-looking uh, thing. I mean, yeah. it's great for it's great for Oregonians. Yeah. And I think if you go to the pubs here, you're going you know, to always have a great experience. And how you deal with this stuff really depends on scale, too. We haven't really talked about it as much. But if you've grown to be a 150,000-barrel brewery a year... Yeah. That's a whole different concept than if you've if you're a twenty thousand barrel brewery a year. Like, what's going to carry you into the future? Yeah, in a place like Deschutes, a place like Sierra Nevada, is looking for something that's going to be a mass market seller, and that's what gets sad to watch people sort of chasing their tail because there's often stuff that you can sell for a few months. Right, right, and uh, it gets back to the thing that I was saying about hazy little thing. You can always, if you're a big brewery like. Sierra Nevada, you can release something in package and get a big bump at the grocery store. The IRI data will, will will jump up. The question is, in the next quarter, are exactly. people still exactly. drinking that beer? Yeah. And that's the... And the holy grail is to find a hasty little thing that keeps selling and selling and selling and selling. Yeah. And it's I mean, this, so difficult. This thing is going to be... This thing has, you know, got years and years and maybe decades. I don't know if it's going to last as long as Pale, but it's, it's a great beer that... Uh, you know they 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 hit the they hit the button there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. You you came up with that really cool. Uh, well, at the time I didn't think it was really cool. Uh, <laughs> but now uh, you know I'm brilliant. Now I know you're brilliant. Your idea that uh, breweries are like restaurants, and I I'm more and more beginning to see you know breweries founding themselves, not thinking of the 100-year model, but much more kind of like positioning themselves just to compete, just to survive oh, that's know, interesting. In, in the modern kind of era. Yeah. So what? 
I mean, I mean, my original thought was just that craft beer is a lot like restaurant, and that you get the buzz, you get the newest, latest. Uh, people will come seek you out, uh, but then they move on. And we know in economics that restaurants tend to, um, well, we call it churn among firms. I know there's also churn among consumers, but there's a lot of births and deaths of restaurants that restaurants yeah. come and go a lot and a lot of chefs will start a restaurant and it'll have its life cycle and then they'll just go and start another one another one and so that's not necessarily true in craft beer but just to give you a, a data point because i looked this up the the median lifespan of a restaurant is about four and a half years wow so it's really not that long so median for the for the uh uh the listener is it's the middle point between the max and the min. So rather than the average, it's the one in the middle. So half half survive longer than four and a half, and half don't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the other aspect, I think that you know, to torture the analogy a little more, is to think about sort of the the you know, in a big city, you've got these sort of citywide restaurants that have famous chefs that get that have this phase where you get a buzz and people come check you out and then word of mouth gets you a lot of customers and you serve a particular type of food and you're, uh, and you're doing great. Um, but that sort of almost inevitably leads to a burnout because there's always going to be another chef and another restaurant that comes along and another food that's like the newest, latest uh, type of food that people want to eat. And then you can compare that to the little neighborhood restaurant the one that's been there forever, that's been serving spaghetti and meatballs or whatever, like that's giving you sort of what you expect and it's nearby and it's part of your community and so it gets supported. And I can, I kind of think about breweries a little bit like that as well, like the packaging brewery that comes up that builds, uh, builds a big reputation um, and uh, in, in the, where the analogy breaks down is in craft beer, of course, you have all the scale economies and the idea that you get bigger and bigger and expand your market. So we don't have that. That's where the restaurant analogy right, breaks right. down. Although I suppose you could really push it into chain restaurants if you want. But anyway, uh, uh, versus the brew pub, which is kind of a neighborhood. So um, the one that pops into my mind in Oregon is Ninkazi who was like the biggest, latest, I mean, they had all, they had everything going for them. They had all the buzz. They were the it brewery for a while. They were brewing this iconic beer um, uh, called Total Domination IPA. And it was like, this, which does still exist, still exist. And at the time it was this great iteration on West Coast IPA that sort of infused more aromatic and citrusy hops. And it was great, uh, is great beer. Uh, but, um, but inevitably, There'll be something else. There'll be something newer, and so if you um, and they were really uh, focused on sort of this idea of growth and and scale economy and pushing right. their beer, and they, they intentionally went on a lower price point and really trying to push their beer into markets. And I think that's where uh, it gets really tenuous. Like if I'm just a little brew pub in a place in a location, um, I think that kind of model can last a lot longer. Um, it reminds me of Laurelwood, which kind of went through a lot of phases. It's true. And it became... It goes the, to show that even little brew pubs, I mean, they, they actually packaged their beer a little bit now, or they did. Uh, but well, anyway. they did. So they were they started off as a brew pub. They became very successful. They turned into a packaging brewery. They expanded. They really pushed. Sites, yeah. and, then they've, and then they lost the buzz, and people started finding other things, and they've retrenched, retrenched, retrenched. And now they're back to being a little neighborhood brew pub. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um... So I think that that's, um, uh, that's sort of both the, the strengths and limits of my analogy. But I do think that in general, if you're craft beer, um, you do get this honeymoon phase. And the question is, 
can you sustain yourself past it, mm-hmm. right? Or right. the honeymoon buzz, you know. Yeah. That it's that awkward phase, as you've identified, is the real pivot, pivotal place. And it's a lot harder to manage that awkward phase, I think, if you've grown a lot and your, and your uh, business model is mass sales. Right. Versus whether it's like, I can sell food and I can sell beer and I'm just going to be here at this local location. Right. Which, that actually, yeah, that tracks really well with, with, with restaurants because the smaller the the business model you know you got a few tables that's all you're doing it's fine but the key the key thing of the way in the past when i first came up with this restaurant analogy is it wasn't like we're all drinking budweiser or drinking sort of a bohemian style pilsner whatever they call budweiser (laughs) or they still call budweiser right like suddenly you introduce people to all sorts of different flavors yeah and that creates consumers that are curious that want new things that don't want the same thing over and over again and so you've created a monster. Right. Right. And so that's why restaurants start and stop all the time. And that's why right. chefs will have this restaurant last decade, but now they've got this entirely new concept this decade. And the next decade, they're probably going to be doing something else, right? Yeah. And it's, I, think, I think it really works at that level too, which is we've entered this kind of stage in, in American brewing where you don't just open a brewery. You open a brewery that does a particular kind of thing. Yeah. And if you're, a, if you're a really creative brewer, uh, you may want to open a brewery to, you know, screw around with wild ales. And you know it's not going to be, it's not going to be Sierra Nevada. But um, but you want to do it and you want to see how far it goes and maybe it only goes five years and then you crap out and yeah. start something else. Those those breweries definitely exist. Um, we, we had a new brewery open up in that commons place called Living House. I think we had it on one of our uh, news items. And mm-hmm. they're, they're hoping to focus on loggers, right? So you, yeah. you, when you open a brewery, you, you have, you have an idea of what you want to do. So it's it, that in that way, it's very much like restaurants. You can't yeah. just be a generic, I'm a brewery, yeah. I make beer. True. And then the flip side, a part of that was just almost a hopeful note in the face of brewery closings, which is in a really vibrant city with a great restaurant scene what do you have you've got a lot of new restaurants opening which means a lot of restaurants are closing and that's just part of the vibrancy that's yep. i know it's those transitions are hard and every closing tells a story and it might have a lot of pain but that sort of dynamic is kind of what typifies a thriving industry yeah uh, and and um if you were you know if you're portland you have a a great restaurant scene that's kind of what you expect you know that restaurants are going to come and they're going to go and you feel sad when your favorite one closes uh, and all that but it also tells you that's how great the restaurant scene is right so that was part of my analogy was just sort of saying look it's not just terrible when breweries close i mean there's obviously aspects that are terrible but in terms of the health of the industry it's it's quite likely a sign of a really thriving robust scene right which goes back to our our uh, uh, a recent report about how breweries are flattening out, and maybe ten thousand is as many as we're going to have in America, and we'll we'll see this churn, which will be fine. Right, right. And so, if you, if, as long as you pencil it out, uh, if you get five or ten years in a brewery, maybe that's good enough. Yeah. We're having trouble with the recording, which actually leads into one of our our next topics. Uh, which is the mailbag. Yeah. Uh, I think, so, behind the scenes, no one knows that my cool, good uh, microphone keeps crapping out on us, which it has, <laughs> which it has done. It's totally seamless from the, 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 the uh, listener's view. Yeah, you never know. You never know. However, it does. And the reason it, 
we're on this new uh, new microphone. I keep calling it a computer because anyway, uh, is because as the listener knows, our audio hasn't been so great lately. So maybe we should just turn to the mailbag where we address that in the first question. Okay, let's turn to it. All so right, Jim. I think we solved the whole thing about everything else, right? Like we're we're good. We we've, we've solved. Yeah, yeah. It's all that it's all set. Now you know everything about uh, the life cycle of breweries. That's right, and how they are related to restaurants, and it's all clear. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So the mail first mailbag entry comes from Jim Boyce, who says, "I had to stop listening to your show 164 on Beer to Guard halfway through because Jeff's voice warbles in and out so bad I couldn't understand half of it." Yeah, imagine if you're me and I have to be with this guy every day. Yeah, I, uh, I, I knew there was going to be something <laughs> smart coming out there. I really like the content and your banter back and forth, but something is seriously wrong with Jeff's voice on the recording. I can hear Patrick Fine, of course, because I'm like a clarion call of, of, of uh, sanity and just yeah insight. Just the 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 resonance of my voice is beautiful. It cuts through any technology technological problem you know about half of the the mailbag stuff i get says patrick's terrible he keeps trailing off at the end can you fix that i'm like i can't fix that it's patrick I can't yeah fix imagine patrick. being in a classroom with me it's even worse so. <laughs> anyway patrick is fine so hopefully that helps you diagnose and fix this yes we're trying this has happened in some past episodes as well so there must be a technical issue with your setup or process thanks again the obvious answer is jeff's crappy little headset which he refuses to acknowledge could possibly be the problem so now we're doing this little microphone no it's not a crappy headset it's a good headset it was a good headset and i think it was zencaster i think one was was is the operative word it was a good headset now it's crappy it's not working well well we don't know and in any case we we attempted to resolve that we were aware of the issue and we apologize to the listener uh all 14 of you uh and now Hopefully, uh, at least the quality of the audio will be good. Yeah, we're trying a single recording mic, uh, seeing, and seeing if we, we use that, if it'll help. And it's a good mic, and we've had a really good... Uh, Maybe one day we'll be back into an actual studio. And we yeah, can... it's good. it could be. That, that could happen. Nobody ever knows what will happen in the future. And it's... I don't know. It, it, that is a slightly more challenging thing, because we've got to drive over there. Yeah, anyway. The point is, we're aware of it. We're trying to fix it. This is our first attempt. Uh, and we'll... Maybe keep trying. <laughs> That's right. You'll let us, please let us know like uh, Jim did. Yeah. All right. Uh, second mailbag item. It comes from Margie Gator, who a longtime commenter. And she says, if you, you may have remembered that I, I only dimly remembered that somebody had requested Beer to Guard and I didn't mm. remember who it was. Margie says, thanks for doing the episode on Beer to Guard. It was I who suggested it. There you go. Uh, I know you guys are generally anti-sampler. You know, she's she's shifted because she talked a lot about uh, where she first encountered Beer to Guard. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of too long for me to throw in here. So I've shifted past that because she says something interesting afterwards, which I'm interested on in your reflections. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you guys are generally anti-sampler, so when you get a sampler tray. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it helped a curious beer consumer who is not a super beer geek easily try some unfamiliar styles. I do find, though, as my beer knowledge has expanded, the number of times I order a sampler has decreased. Still not a geek, though. <laughs> so, beer samplers? Yeah, so I think that's exactly right. I think that's, like, I I will have, when people come to town, I'm thinking, um, had my, uh, my English brother-in-law came to town a while ago, and we went to uh, a brewery. I think we ended up at Ten Barrel, of all places. Anyway, but, um, you know, he's not used to craft beer that much. 
and so a sampler was a great way for him to experience what's a hazy IPA and what's a West Coast IPA and what's a you know what their version of a Pilsner tasted like and things like that. Right. Uh, so I think I think samplers have their place. It's just that me as an experienced beer drinker, I don't feel like I I get to know the beer enough, and it's not satisfying enough to get a little two ounce pour. Um, and then switch suddenly from a hazy to a pilsner or something like that. Right. Uh, so for me, um, uh, at this stage, I suppose, of my beery experience, I just like to be able to sit with the beer and, and drink it and sort of experience it from first to last sip. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the one thing I'll say here, and we probably don't say it enough, and so I'll emphasize it. I, I, do, I actually do some tastings with a company, um, and I always mention this ahead of time because I think it's really important which is there's no way to do beer wrong beer yeah. is beer is easy so if you want to do sampler plays sampler trays you do you if you want to drink Bud Light you do you like if you like Bud Light you should do that if you like sampler trays you should do that because yeah it's all just experience 100% and, yeah yeah uh, and when uh, that, we should not be judgy we should uh, in beer we should not be judgy yeah and I was, I was going to say which is if I'm in a brew pub and I see people getting a sampler tray I think oh that's great yeah like, I, I never think oh yeah what, a... what chumps like <laughs> yeah. they're not going to really know the beer right no not at all I think oh this is great they're really trying to get to know all the different flavors of beer and that's one of the nice things about samplers you can get six little pours and you see wow these are all so different yeah absolutely which is, for and a lot of people is quite an education so i think they're great and there's so many breweries uh you may never come back to this brewery you want to try their six beers mm-hmm. um yeah give it a shot and and uh we often talk about how we like low alcohol beers if you like big boozers god bless you that's why they exist Enjoy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To each to each their own. There is no right or wrong way to enjoy beer. All right. This next one is kind of long, and I included a lot of it. You can read the whole thing or whatever you want. I'll I'll read it really fast. All right. <laughs> All right. Adam Spice, I think maybe Spice. 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 Uh, yeah. Writes the trip we took recently to the Czech Republic and had a couple Beervana inspired stops. Ooh, Fleckoo's beer was superb and so unique. But let's be honest, like, it was kind of a tourist trap. You didn't really need to go there. You could <laughs> see yes. about 26 earlier pods to get that joke. There, right. the, there was, there was a, some content in here that I cut out where he, uh, he, he encouraged you to go back. And the body it. created with the unfermentable sugar while still retaining the quaffability of a lager was quite an experience. So I probably racked up too many tick marks on my coaster because of it. I don't believe I've had a U.S.-made Tamavi Cherne mm-hmm. that had tasted like it. Our next trip uh, is next spring to the UK. I'll be in London for five days. I really want to get all the cask ale I can from old school cask breweries. We'll likely lodge at the Fuller's Pub. Good choice. So we have that covered. I really want to try Harvey's. Also good choice. Uh, choice. Is the Harp the best place to do so? Is there a best place to sit with a pint of Timothy Taylor's? I know that's from up north, so didn't know if it traveled well. Any must-visit cask pubs, breweries in London? Question mark. Any other must-have cast beers I haven't mentioned? Is there a mild that's readily available in London? Ooh, that's a lot of questions. I hope you're ready to answer. Well, uh, so we do not live in London, and so uh, we're not so clear about all the places. But, uh, yes, I, I, I queried Twitter, which is how I resolve these issues. And uh, the Harp is apparently highly recommended as a place to get Sussex, as is uh, the Royal Oak Nice. Uh, another one. Yep. Uh, and the King's Arms mm-hmm. for Timothy Taylor. Okay. Uh, 
Lloyd, Lord Clyde, uh, apparently also another good one for the Tim Taylor. Okay. Uh, so I will say that these things are a little bit uh, hard to adjudicate because I was in, last time I was in UK, I was in Manchester mm-hmm. and uh, I went to a pub that should have had a absolutely spot on Tim Taylor. It's brewed in Keeley, which is, I don't know, 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. And it was not good. It was, it was an old, it was an old keg and it, well, or an yeah. old cask. It, it just well wasn't, cared for, yeah. it wasn't great. Meanwhile, when I was in London earlier on that trip, uh, I went to a boozer, not not a cool kind of place that everybody goes to, mm-hmm. and uh, an amazing Tim Taylor. It was absolutely perfect landlord. So you know, <laughs> it's a little bit hard to tell you where to go that you're going to find a cask in perfect condition. I mean, we've I've been to uh, Fuller's pubs that the pride isn't as where I would want it. So you just never know. This is this is both the delight and the the, the downside of uh, Casper. It is. It's true. It's really hard to know going in. Uh, yeah, i just say that. Uh, it's kind of like talking about... Uh, I don't know. I'm losing my train of thought. My point is that in London when I'm there... It might be that three-way. Well, yeah. <laughs> my point is when I'm, when I'm there, the best pub is the pub that's in front of you, right? Like, yeah. you just got to go. That's right. And part of the pub experience is the beer and part of the pub experience is everything else. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. That's part of it. Um, and um, it's really hard to know ahead of time, even with a sort of a... I mean, there, there are pubs, I, I suppose, that have a good... that do a good job handling their beer and... I don't know who those are, but I basically just try to go to the locals. Yeah, I pop I into the right. lo- I pop into the local and try to get a sense of what the local culture is and the local scene. Um, so now I spend a lot of time in Southwest London and Putney because that's where my mother and my sister live, and in and around Putney, Richmond area. Um, and where's, where's Putney? Which which direction is it? Southwest. So it's just on the southern bank of the um, of the Thames, west of the the city. Gotcha. It's like this. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my my boozer was on the other side. It was northeast. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and and I just love. I mean, I just love pop culture. I just love pubs. So just, yeah, just popping in. Um, and yeah, you may you may find a, an Abbott ale that's not very not in great shape, but you the guy next to you turns out to have he's super fascinating, and you have four hours with him, and it's awesome. So yeah, uh, so that's what I like. So that's would be my. Sort of, I'm going away from your question and basically saying, if you're going to London, just just pop in, pop yeah. into places. Totally, you, you know, just check them out, and um, uh, especially if you find a neighborhood you really like, or you look a pub that has a nice look, you know, is there something about it you like? That's that's the pub to go to. And I would do Beermansy uh, Beer Mile too. It's it's uh, it's worth seeing what people are doing. I had a few Cascales from craft breweries that were. Absolutely tremendous. So, yeah. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, me <All> right. too. <laughs> Let us know what you found. You can you can uh, answer your own question when you get back. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I do kind of seek out Fuller's pubs because I'm just kind of like a... I'm in the pocket of Fuller's because I like them so much. I know we saw on Twitter that uh, John Keeling was in Northwest and he didn't apparently come to Portland. Yeah. So we had. I, I almost, if I'd known, I probably would have driven up there just to see him. 
Yeah. So we had a great time at, at Fuller's doing research for Jeff's first beer Bible. So right. uh, it has a special place in my heart and I love their beer. So uh, when I'm in London, I often will we'll keep in mind uh, what, what the Fuller's pubs are and try to, try to hit one, one or two when I'm there. That's right. And that's, that's what you do. So you may find some beer from some brewery that then becomes that beer, that touchstone for you for the next few decades. So yep. yeah, knock yourself out. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this up yep. while we're still recording right? <laughs> before this thing craps out the third time. Uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so please uh, send your questions or comments to jeff at beervanablog.com or on Twitter and Instagram at beervanapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at beervana. Patrick tweets at Beernomics. That's right. And so thank you very much for everyone who, uh, Jim and Margie and Adam, who wrote in. Yes, uh, indeed. Thank you. Yeah, keep it coming. Uh, we appreciate the mailbag. Yeah. Um, Until next time, Jeff. Well, back to this through ad, I just got to say, it's, it's, it's wearing well. I'm really loving it. I'm, like, I'm liking it in cans so much more than I liked it on draft. So that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other podcast. All right. But it's, it's, the it's, next podcast is set now. It's awesome. Uh, so, this is the New England version. That's right. Go yeah. find, a, go find a, a four pack. It is. I'm really enjoying it as well. All right. Cheers, All right. Patrick. Cheers. That was a nice plank. <laughs>